Welcome to Ginspired, brought to you by theginshop.ca. This podcast will take you on a journey into the world of gin, where you'll experience this versatile spirit in ways you never thought possible. Now the host of Ginspired, Heather E. Wilson. Hello and welcome to Ginspired, where we talk about and celebrate everything about the wonderful juniper lace spirit called gin. And on today's episode, I'm super excited because my guest is Leslie Quinn, an award-winning CMS and FWS sommelier and owner of Stellar Sum Wine Experts located here in Prince Edward Island. And today we're going to chat about how to properly taste gin and we'll discuss some of Leslie's faves. So welcome, Leslie. Super excited to learn all about how to actually properly taste. Maybe I've been doing it wrong all along. I don't know. Oh, well, I don't think there's any wrong way to taste gin. Well, I don't really think so either, but I know there is an official appropriate way. So we're going to talk about that. But first, as with all episodes, let's start by sharing what we are drinking today. And Leslie, since you're my guest, you get to go first. What gin cocktail are you drinking today? Uh, Well, even though we're into the fall season, I haven't been able to kind of let go of this summertime favorite cocktail of mine, a Pimm's Cup. So you have gin and then you have a gin flavored kind of liqueur that is super refreshing, but herbal, add lemon juice to it. I like to kind of go off of the variations where I add cucumber, I add mint, so it becomes almost like a salad in a glass. Wow. Very refreshing, really delicious way to enjoy gin. Sounds lovely. I actually have some Pims here at home. Of course I do, right? Of course. I'll have to try that combo. That sounds lovely. Well, I'm actually having a breakfast martini because it's fairly early here that we are recording. And while it's never too early to have gin, today it's just gin with a little bit of triple sec, a little bit of lemon juice, and just a teeny splash of orange juice to, you know, get my vitamin C there first thing in the morning. like it. (laughs) Yes. Have a balanced breakfast. Exactly. Exactly. The breakfast of champions right there. Okay, so before we dive into learning how to taste test and all that good stuff, let's find out more about you and your journey to becoming a sommelier and all that really good stuff. So just let's hear about you and your journey. Yeah. Perfect. So I was in my mid-20s and I decided to pursue academia in the beginning. I was planning on becoming a philosophy professor. Whoa, there's a diamond. (laughs) What took me into the world of wine, though, was that I chose to do my master's degree in New Zealand, which, you know, has some incredible wines. And Mm -hmm. so it was my downtime from school that I took a job working in a vineyard and I went on my first wine tour and I just... I don't think I realized how good it could really be, like how great wine could really taste. And at that point in my life, I mean, I was in my early 20s. Like, it's not like I was drinking quality products at that time. So after New Zealand, I started to more fall back on what I'd used to pay my way through undergrad, which was working in restaurants. And while working in Vancouver, somebody mentioned to me, you know, Cayman Islands is an amazing place to live, work. And you can really pay off any student debt that you might have. So that sounded amazing to me. And when I went online, I kind of Googled 
hotels, restaurants. And when I saw that there was a Ritz Carlton on Cayman Islands, I was Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, that is where I need to work. That is where I envision learning so much about this industry. And so I applied for every single opening Ritz Carlton had at the time. I mean, housekeeping, I think there was a landscaper position that I applied for. And of course, every single one of the restaurant openings. I ended up getting hired as a banquet server though, which was really great training grounds and one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, to be perfectly honest. Only female on a team of 16, only Canadian, only North American actually. So it was, you know, a way to learn so much about different cultures, a way to learn how to hustle in the sand and in the heat. And part of being a banquet server meant you got to work with the sommelier on different high-end events. So anytime he was around, I just would ask questions. And after about eight months, um, they came to me and said, look, Leslie, you seem to be really interested in this wine stuff. I think you have a great personality for helping our guests understand it without being pretentious about it. We'd like to interview for the role of a junior sommelier. And I was like, amazing. This is a dream come true. And in that process, we quickly realized how little I knew about wine. Oh, no. <laughs> so they said to me, look, okay, the role, you know, we're in our slow season. You have three months, and then we want you to go to New York and write an introductory exam with the Court of Master Sommelier program. If you pass that, the job is yours. So off I went, and you know, I passed my introductory level. I think by the <laughs> just by the skin of my teeth, and got the position. So then the really the hardcore training really started, and it was you know spending late nights in the wine cellar, the head sommelier, blind taste testing, getting grilled on different appellations. And then I went and wrote my certified exam about a year later in San Francisco. And it was at this point that I realized like, oh my God, I'm ignoring this whole huge section of what the examination is, which was the spirit section. Right. So that summer, rather than focusing on wine, I started to really focus in on understanding whiskey and gin flavor profiles and and tequila and like getting to know all of these other sections. Because I think people hear the word sommelier, they think, you know, oh, that's the wine person. And well, yes, that is the main focus, but a sommelier is basically, it's a fancy French word for a beverage expert, right? Like I'm expected to, my examinations cover everything from coffee knowledge to tea service to, I've even heard about sommeliers who have gone down this path of becoming specialists in water. What? (laughs) There's a beverage expert for just about anything you can drink. So being a sommelier, I try my best to know a little bit about everything that you drink. Wow. That's awesome. And it sounds really hard. <laughs> it's, it's not just drinking wine all day for the people. Really? I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's what people think. You know, it's just all about the taste testing and the drinking, not the studying and the, you know, all that good stuff. Okay. So, well, I know you tend to prefer wine. Is that correct for what you share? But you do do spirits. So Mm -hmm. when you're a spirits 
expert. I taste test a lot, but I'm not an expert by any means. So what's involved in being like a spirits expert? I think a key component of it is understanding how it's made first off. So, and understanding the different styles. So understanding that London dry gin has its own set of regulations. Like there's that side of it for sure. And understanding like the base components, like if you don't know gin equals juniper, then. (laughs) Then you shouldn't be drinking gin. (laughs) There's that. uh, You shouldn't be talking about it and trying to say you're an expert about it. If you, you know, don't understand that there's a spectrum of flavors and like how you actually get those flavors into the gin, whether it's through maceration or injection, there can, you know, I, I think it's for understanding how it's made and the producers and being able to communicate that in a way to a guest that makes them want to try it. So right. for example, like I always describe Hendrix as being like, oh, well, Hendrix, it's really smooth and because it's on the more kind of herbaceous and citrus side of things, really great for gin and tonics or, you know, soda water with a cucumber. There's a reason the cucumber works because they actually use cucumber in the production. So just knowing things like that so that you can better help people make a decision. Okay. Awesome. Well, I think I'm on my way then. I, I know a definitely lot of that stuff. think you are there. <laughs> I do that in a lot of gin situations. Yes, yes, me too. (laughs) So one thing I personally hear a lot from people who aren't necessarily in my realm of gin trying and drinking is one, I don't like gin. When actually they mean, they think that it's one thing. It's like there's only one kind of wine. There's only one kind of gin instead of it being, no, it's actually a category and there's thousands of gins out there. So that's one. And then two is they don't even really understand how to go about tasting a new gin and how to describe what they're tasting. Because, you know, they'll be like, tastes like alcohol. (laughs) I'm like, no, there's more to it than that. (laughs) Right? That's true. I always tell people it's the hardest step to get past that initial, my brain is telling me this smells like wine. This smells like alcohol. Like if you can get past that, your brain will reward you with so many different, not only scents, but like memories because your olfactory sense is attached to memory. So if you shut that part of your brain off, that goes, this smells like alcohol, this smells like wine and open it up to what is beyond that. Oh my God, you can go on this really cool journey and it can be really rewarding. It's also apparently really good for your brain. Yes, I could see that, you know, creating new neurotransmitter pathways and all that good stuff. So that's right. Okay. So can we go through the process of what would be, let's say, if I were at a gin tasting with you or a newbie, let's say, and what is the official kind of appropriate way to taste a new gin or spirit even, doesn't even have to be gin, that then can help us get past the, oh, all I taste is alcohol and actually be able to describe something. Right. So I'm a big fan of using but we, they call it the aroma wheel for wine, but there's one that exists for gin as well. And I'm just going to, so there's going to be, it's kind of like you describe it in three tiers. So how strong is the juniper? 
How strong are the citrus elements? How strong are the floral elements? How strong are the herbal, the spice? And then finally, how strong is the heat? So if you can kind of get those six components in your brain as like, okay, like a tick list, like, okay, how much am I noticing the juniper? Let's give it like a two out of three. Um, How strong am I noticing the citrus? Oh, that's a three out of three. And a key component with tasting gin is you got to taste it in like a small, like tulip shaped glass. So whether that's, I think that's the best way to do it because the tulip shape really helps the aromas kind of float up to your nose and you're not going to smell a gin like you are a wine. Like you're not going to stick your nose right in there and inhale really big or else all you're going to get is a burning sensation. Then the other component, I mean, with smelling, you want to do short like sniffs. So, and you want to, I find closing my eyes really helps. Some people find it makes them feel a little silly. So they're focused on feeling silly instead of focused on what they're smelling. But for me, closing my eyes allows me to picture more what I'm smelling, like okay. the better allows my brain and leave the mouth open so you can get even more oxygen into your olfactory area and just short little across the glass. Across the glass. Can, okay. Yeah. So you're going to go and then maybe go back like that. But right. again, you don't want to go right in like that because right. do. Okay. <laughs> Boy, do I have so much to tell Larry now. Tell Larry I said hi. <laughs> <laughs> I know. After you smell the gin, I think what you want to do is just make a couple of precursory, like, okay, this is what I got. You know, it's definitely leaning more towards the citrus side of things or maybe towards the herbal side of things. And even where you're feeling like the spice and the alcohol element might be. And then take a nice small sip and let it coat your entire mouth. Like, I think people forget when they're tasting something like this, that you have taste buds in every nook and cranny of your mouth. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to drinking a spirit straight, we think, you know, down the hatch, right? right. <laughs> Get her in there. <laughs> <laughs> but if you take just like a small sip and really let it coat your entire mouth and then exhale out mm-hmm. with your mouth and your nose and just breathe slowly out, you will really get a sensation of the spices of any heat element, not always, but personally, I find that the higher quality spirits in general, when you exhale, it's more of a cooling sensation and a burning sensation. Mm -hmm. Well, I should say almost more like a, like a not menthol in the sense of mint, but that menthol, like it's a cooling heat. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 And then just kind of reconfirm what you got when you smelt the gin. So, oh, it's interesting. Now it feels like it's moving more into a floral side of things, or I'm really getting a ton of herbal elements here. Mm. And if you can take it that one step further, like I think it's dill, or I think I'm getting like cilantro. And then after that, reward yourself with a visiting the producer's website and seeing like, okay, so these are the elements that they use to produce this gin. They're not going to give you the exact recipe because, you know. That's proprietary. Yeah. That's right. That's right. But they usually like to give you a good little description. And for the most part, I find gin websites use that exact aroma wheel and tell you where it lands. Mm -hmm. So you can be like, oh, okay. So they're saying it's more citrusy than I got. Go back and see if you get that. And if you don't, there's nothing wrong with that. Like people often think that there's a right flavor to take from a product and a wrong flavor. And 
like taste is still very subjective. And as I said, it's tied to memory. So the memory you have associated with this gin will be completely different than the memory that the person who wrote the tasting note has with this gin. I have definitely found that because you I get go, completely different things, right? I get completely different things. And I go on, I'm like, that is nothing like what they said it's supposed to be. And then I always thought, well, it was me was the no, issue. Definitely okay. not. It's just different. I mean, probably the person who wrote that grew up in a completely different way. Right. Right. And that completely changes how you describe things, how things smell and taste to you. Okay. Woo. Well, I'm glad to know I'm not wrong. <laughs> and so, okay. So then once we've taste tested it neat, do we add a little water or do we just go straight to our drink because, yay, this was an awesome gin and I want to drink it. I think it's fun to add a couple of drops of water, just like you would with whiskey, right. just to see how it changes it. And I mean, for the most part, when you're drinking gin, you're going to add ice anyway. Right. So I think it's good to see how simple addition of water, what aromas will be released at that point. Cause you better believe like a, even just a couple of drops of water changes it, right? It totally changes it. It's so cool, I think. It is. This is why I love the world of beverages. All right. So we've added our drops of water. So do we then try it with a little bit of tonic or our normal go or? Uh, That's what I would do. But at this point, I would make yourself your favorite cocktail. Yeah. I think, you know, you've explored everything that it has to give you. Once you've added those couple drops of water, you can kind of get a scent. And then, yeah, go to town, make your favorite drink, whether it's a Negroni, whether it's G&T, whether it's just delicious gin and soda with a nice citrus garnish. Yeah, that's my personal go-to is gin with sparkling water, you know, or soda if they don't have sparkling water and a lime. I think if you really love gin and its flavors, that is a very good go-to because it allows you to enjoy those flavors in the most purest way. Whereas the moment you start mixing it, like I love Negronis, but there's a lot of other flavor in there, right? Then yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. So like my go-to on a regular day, let's say would be with water and Larry is too, because we really love the taste of gin. There you go. Right. But we also don't want to get, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we don't want to over imbibe because we're here for the taste, not for the drunkenness. So try really hard to balance that out, of course. Okay. So let's talk about your three favorite gins right now? Do you have anything that's on your radar that's pleasant surprise? Just anything that kind of for this fall season, potentially, you know, anything on your radar? Well, I haven't been able to get my hands on it since I left Nova Scotia, but it's called the Saint Laurent gin. Have you had this one from Yes, I have. Uh, I I mean, I'm drawn to the island styles of scotch as well. I think Growing up on an island, I think we're just naturally drawn to like a saltier kind of saline type of addition. And the fact that they use that, that algae that is from Mm -hmm. the St. Laurent River gives this like salty, citrusy kind of edge to it that almost takes you into like a margarita type of category, Mm. almost makes it super, super approachable and delicious. Of course, Mm -hmm. there's a higher end version of that actually made on Isla right, by the Brutlotta producer botanist. Another um, delicious style of gin, but Saint Laurent gin is made right here in Quebec. So I love, love supporting Canada where I can. Romeo's gin just landed here in PEI. 
If you're a citrus fan, I I have both of his gins, and actually, he did a podcast with me. So you'll have to check. No way. So, I mean, of course, supporting the arts is always Mm. really cool too. Like any little extra projects like that that you can add into your story of production, I think makes it that much easier to talk to the consumers about all of those things. And, you know, for classic, I mean, I love Hendrix, right? That like a Hendrix gin, soda water, a cucumber wedge, and like fresh cracked pepper, right? Yes, I've had that. Yeah. Oh, so, so good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good classic. I love that too. All right. Well, we're on the same page then. Yay. I I feel a lot of validation today. A lot of confirmation that I'm on the right track and not just completely off this weird, wild tangent of doing my own thing. So, so thank you for that. My pleasure. I say, even if I didn't validate anything, keep going down the weird, wild tangent. Too short and boring if you don't do stuff like that. Well, that is very true. Very true. Okay. So, you know, this is coming up. (laughs) This is story time because this is what everybody loves and loves about these episodes is the gincidence at the end. So, do you have a gincidence story that you're willing to share? Remember, this is public. With our audience, because that's really what, you know, a lot of it's about, any incidents. Now, I know you spit it out most of the time, but I'm sure there are times where you don't spit it out. Oh, 100%. Yes. (laughs) So I am going to tell a incident about a couple of my girlfriends that I'm hoping that they won't kill me for sharing this story. You don't have to name names. That's what I'm thinking. Exactly. So it's one of my favorite memory of these two particular girlfriends as well, just because it was such a kind of a heartwarming thing. So no, we were still at a stage in our lives where buying alcohol at the bar was not necessarily the easiest thing. So <laughs> we happened to be on our way to, oh, I want to say we're on our way to Hunter. We had a split, a Mickey of Bombay gin, a beautiful blue bottle (laughs) in our bag and my one friend was rocking these incredible like purple snakeskin stiletto heels wow nice right like brave she looked amazing and we were crossing the street at kent and university and wiped right out right onto her butt in the middle of the street you hear the bottle smash as soon as she hit the ground. And my other friend who, <laughs> like, I don't want you to think like we were a big mess, but I mean, it was a summer where we're all in the service industry. And so this is already her third phone of the <laughs> Third so, phone? Third oh phone, God. I know. <laughs> and so my other friend was like, oh no, your phone. And reached into the bag grab her cell phone she pulled her hand out so quickly that he immediately looked at her and was like you cut your hand didn't you and she was like no no I'm fine I'm fine and then no. we help her get up you know we're cleaning her up the traffic has picked back up at least we got her out of the street we you know we're saving the things that we can save and we're carefully getting rid of the broken glass and I realized the friend who had reached in for the phone was missing So I start, I'm like, oh no, where did she go? Where did she go? So we find a blood trail just outside of, at the time it was Jack's Pizza, but it's now Alexandra's Pizza and follow the blood trail into the bathroom. (laughs) And she has cut her finger like wide open, wide open. So we have it like 
above her head, wrapping it in paper towel. We're like, okay, I think we got to go to the emergency room. And she's like, no, we were going to go out and dance. You know, you're not dancing with a finger like that. <laughs> oh, oh, but we did. <laughs> Thankfully, you... we got our stitches in the morning. Oh my God. Did you put like the classic electrical black tape? Oh yeah. She was rocking a full <laughs> hand mitt of electrical paper towel and electrical tape all night long, just bouncing it up. And we had no other option but to order more gin and sodas at the actual at Hunter's that night since our stash had been completed. But I mean, the fact that she risked herself for one of our other buds, I think was so, was so brave. And I just loved the both of them so much that, I mean, it's one of those stories that you're like, oh, girls, yeah. how we survived our 20s, I'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is an epic gincident. That is a true essence. <laughs> it has all the elements of a gincident. So, right. Like bravery. Right, yeah, everything. The gin, you know, something happens to it. There's blood involved. There's bravery. <laughs> there's like epic fashion. You That's know, right. it's got all the elements. So <laughs> thank you so much for that. I'm sure everyone's going to love that story. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it. You know, everything you ever wanted to know about how to taste and describe gin and some cool new gins you could try if you haven't already. And the path of becoming a sommelier, well, or at least Leslie's path may not be your path. But yeah, thank you so much, Leslie, for being here today. I'm pretty sure we could talk about gin and spirits and wine and all that yummy stuff like for hours. For hours. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right. And be sure to check out the show notes for links to Leslie and Stellar Some Wine Experts and the gymshop.ca for all your gin-tastic clothing and gin novelty needs. And until next time, remember, let the tasting be gin. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ginspire, brought to you by theginshop.ca. If we've ginspired you, drop us a note, heather at theginshop.ca. We may even read your email or feature your ginspirational story in an upcoming episode. And remember to follow us on social media. Until next time, let the party be gin. <laughs>